Let's begin. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning, and though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A word real quick about this Sunday. This is the fourth Sunday in Lent. Uh, Laetari is the name of the word, not Atari, uh, for some of you 80s people, uh, those of us that grew up with the video game system. Laetari, which simply means rejoice. So pay attention, um, late service people and early service people, as you uh, take your insert and your study notes and use those for your Bible study this week, along with our Behold the Man study. Pay attention to that. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. That's the first verse of our introit. So the simple question you need to ask yourself as a Christian is this. For what do I rejoice? Or why do I rejoice? Um, So there's a difference between joy and happiness I think there was a big interview this last week with, uh, oh, what's, what's her name? Hotka? What's the Today Show? H- Hoda, what's her name? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's like, I like her. Uh, they're good. Um, and uh, she interviewed, who was the gal that went off that used to be, was the, was the other main, uh, was it Kathy Lee? Is that right? So she did an interview with Kathy Lee, and I caught a snippet. Somebody sent it to me. It was on their YouTube or Facebook of an interview she did where she talked about joy and happiness. And look it up if you get a chance. It was kind of interesting, and I thought it was a little insightful. She didn't really get theological with it, per se, but I think she's on the right track with exactly what, uh, you know, in terms of, 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 of joy. Uh, joy is something that comes from really somewhere else. And so for us as Christians... Joy for us should always come from that which the Lord provides through Jerusalem. This is heaven is my home type of concept. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we receive the gifts that God provides through his church. So just, just hang on to that, dive into that, let that kind of sink in this week as you think a little bit uh, about uh, what that means. I've had people in the past that have said, how in the world can we have a Rejoice Sunday in the middle of Lent, Right? It's kind of like Gaudette Sunday during Advent, right, where you have all this kind of, you know, and it's not that type of rejoicing. It's, it's how can we have joy in the midst of, you know, we need bread, we need something to eat, we've got trials and tribulations in our life. Where does joy come from then? That's the question you need to answer, and, uh, and it's answered quite well from, uh, for us in our text for today. Okay, uh, let's dive back into Professor Marquardt. Um, <clears throat> for some of you... Uh, Snowbirds or travelers that are back with us, we are still in chapter one of uh, <laughs> Professor Marquardt. We're having so much fun with it, so I hope you're not upset with me at all. I, I love to, I love, I really like to unravel thread, not literally, uh, but, but, but to really chase some of the holes and, and look at some of that, okay? So we'll start to pick it up a little bit after this chapter, but Professor Marquardt just crams so much into this chapter, we have to make sure we get all of it, okay? Any burning questions before we dive into what we have for today? Yes, sir. After chapter one, you said two or three. 
So the question for the internet listeners is, after we do chapter one, are we going to skip all the way ahead or will we do chapter two? We will do chapter two. Chapter two is actually not by Professor Marquardt, and I've assigned that chapter to our own Pastor Grady. So, um, <laughs> no, it's a really good chapter. That came out wrong, Jim, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's, it's good stuff. So, no, we'll, we'll continue after that. So, some of you might have read the book all the way through, and that's fine. That, 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 that's all good, excellent book. So, just, just go through and take some notes. Okay, any other uh, <clears throat> more important questions? <laughs> okay, so just a little bit of review. We, we ended kind of last week talking about the servant use of reason and the master use of reason and how that applies when we read and study Scripture. Someone want to raise their hand and give us a brief definition of what master use of reason is and servant use of reason is. Come on. Master use of reason, the definition is up there for you. Right? So that's the first paragraph. So let me read it for you. So the master use of reason seeks not simply to understand, but to judge the truth of what has been understood. Okay? It is this master use of reason, which is the essence of historical criticism. So what we are, are, are really learning about here is, is how we read and understand Scripture. We believe it to be true because, number one, Scripture claims for itself that it is Truth. Got it? So we take all that on faith. Okay? Uh, instead of using a master use of reason, which is seeking to judge uh, true or false according to Scripture, we use the servant uh, use of reason. Now, what's, what's reason? Somebody want to try and define reason very quickly? Reason is what? Logic. Logic would be part of it. Okay? Uh, you, you could just think of the, the trivium in terms of grammar. Logic, and what's the third one? Rhetoric, right? Um, so the what, the how, and the why. Did I get that right, classical people? I think that's right. Um, so the, the, the what, the how, and the why. And so servant use now, we place ourselves at the feet of Scripture and simply learn from it. We don't say, what does this mean to me? See the difference? And so we, we take the truth of Scripture and, and we accept it and we subject ourselves to what God has revealed. And that's where you have to start. And when you don't start there, you end up in all sorts of goofy places, which is how we end up with not only issues that we have within our own synod, but just also in mainline denominations. Some of you, I, I know not, not everybody here at our church, and that's typical as, as, you know, was a baby Missouri Synod Lutheran. Some of you came from other mainline denominations that you know, we're much more <laughs> traditional and conservative in some respects, right? So my father-in-law, uh, Gina's dad, was raised uh, United Church of Christ. And as he was raised, they still had a hymnal. They had kind of still the outline of even the divine service. And they were very conservative on about everything. Um, and I mean, it, it was uh, Higginsville, Missouri was the town. And, uh, and he fell in love with a Missouri Synod woman who said, I will only be Missouri Synod, so either... You know, you're becoming Missouri Synod, or I don't know. You want to explain that one? <laughs> um, and 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 wonderful guy, and he had a great pastor, uh, Howard Barth, who actually we were his last confirmation class in Kansas City. Um, some of you might know a little bit of the history of the Barth family, but uh, not well. There's a liberal Barth family too. So anyway, uh, where was I? 
That was way, that was way too, way too out, of, out of bounds. No, I mean, so, so UCC now is one of the more liberal denominations, that was my point, um, that have really totally rejected a servant use of reason uh, and instead employed historical criticism and a master use and applied that now to scripture. And that leads to just all sorts of naughtiness. Okay, and that's part of where we're at, okay? For those of you that have books, we are on page 24. Uh, next paragraph, critic or criticism, and we kind of ended with this last week, comes from the Greek word for judge. Uh, it's actually in Greek, it's krino. Now, clearly God's word is to judge us, not we it. Uh, and when we talk about judge, we're talking about passing sentence. So when Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged, what he's saying is, it's not up to you to decide who's going where to heaven or hell, right? So he's not talking about judging teaching or false doctrine because that, that word krino and its derivatives gets used in other ways. Jesus says, flee from false prophets. So when you, when you recognize teaching, when you see uh, things that are incorrect and wrong, Jesus says, flee from them. Uh, Jesus also calls the church to mark those uh, just as um, you know somebody across the street from us uh, has a contract on the house, and so we, we watch this guy come out uh, that, uh, you know, he's doing a home inspection, and so we watch him climb up this wobbly ladder, and he's walking on the roof, and he's walking across the peak of the roof, and it's a pretty steep pitch, and my wife is like, oh, you know, like watching him doing that, and, uh, uh, and so he's, he's checking everything out, right? He's looking to see the state of the house, the order of the house, um, you know, within the same space of a day or two, the utility companies came out, and guess what they did on the ground? They marked where all the utilities were, okay? Including, it looks like, uh, kind of just some tag marks where the property lines are. Um, so all these things are marked. So now the new home buyers can know what? What can they know? Everything they need to know, right? They can know if there's a problem with the roof, uh, they can know where utilities are, if they're going to put a deck in, they're going to do whatever. They've, you know, they kind of did, they, they did, a, did a lot of stuff to mark. So God calls us to pay attention, investigate what we are hearing and what we are seeing, and to always judge that over against Scripture. Okay? At the same time, you also have in the church um, those whom God has given you. Um, you know, I, I guess you could call me and Pastor Grady home inspectors, Right? So, I mean, part of our job is to maybe identify, you know, the good things that are going on in the house and perhaps even the bad things uh, and to help point out potential pitfalls, right? So, you know, so Mr. Harris, that sump pump might need to be replaced, you know, whatever it is. That's an inside joke. So, um, <laughs> he was our realtor. <laughs> so, you, you mark these things and then you fix them, you avoid them, you do stuff like that. Are you, are you tracking with, with Professor Marquardt and me on this? Okay, all right, Let's, any questions? Some people have asked me to ask for more questions. So just, if you have a question, shoot your hand in the air. Would you like to, Monty, where is he? Should we ask them this question? We have the ability now with technology. You ready for this? Some of you are like, I don't want anything to do with it. Some of you might though. You can actually ask questions. You can like text a question, you know, so you don't have to raise your hand and ask it. And, and Monty has volunteered to kind of be like a controller for our Bible study class. So if you have a question you want to ask, you know, and if, and if it's, it's really silly or inappropriate, we won't, you know, share it with everybody. Uh, but you can actually text it. Is some of you familiar with that? You want to do, should we do that? Make that available for some of you? No. 
I'm moving on. Okay. Wow, that went over like a lead balloon, Bonnie. Okay. So critical criticism comes from the Greek word for judge. Now, clearly God's word is to judge us, not we yet. So remember where you start. Subjecting scripture to historical criticism amounts to a grotesque reversal of roles. The sinner fancies himself on the bench and God's word in the defendant's dock. That's a great little picture, right? So uh, if you're a little older, you can think about Perry Mason. If you're a little younger than that, you can think about Matlock. If you're a little younger than that, you can think about law and order. Shall I go on? Um, so get the idea of, you know, of you know, a defendant, a judge, get that kind of picture there and then, and then see a Bible floating around however you want. Um, so a theology so conducted resembles Edgar Allan Poe's nightmare about an insane asylum taken over and run by the patients. So sound theology, and this is still a review from last week, bases itself squarely on Holy Scripture as the only, read it with me, the only true norm according to which all teachers and teachings are to be judged and evaluated, okay? So there is judging that takes place. It's not the personal kind of you're going to hell or you're going to heaven kind of judging. It's a judging of what is right or wrong according to what God has said in Holy Scripture. Nod your heads and say, yes, I get it, okay? So this is where, again, people fall into this boat. Well, you know, don't, you don't judge me, you know? Um, and so Scripture speaks to certain things. Things that Scripture speaks to, we are called to pay attention to, to mark and avoid and to teach, and also still to try and do that in a winsome and a loving way, which is, is part of the challenge for the church as well. Okay? Okay, any questions on that one? Just text them if you have them. So this is the Reformation's Scripture alone principle as reasserted by the formula of Concord. So if Scripture indeed is the only judge, then human reason cannot also be judged under whatever pretext. So this is why every, and part of my study in my dissertation, I've, I've read and studied a lot of constitution and bylaws of Missouri Synod congregations, and guess what everyone definitely has? Guess what every Missouri Synod congregation I'm, I've come across, and I've studied I've probably read between two to three hundred constitutions and bylaws. I mean, not like, like really read them like, you know, you're reading, you know, uh, Harry Potter before you go to bed or something, but like read them. What's the first paragraph of every Missouri Synod congregation? Every constitution. Any idea? You want to you tackle this, one of you two pastors? Or, you know, if we've got any church officers here, you should know it. It's the first article. Every one. What's the sole rule, norm, or source by which all decisions will be made and by which, by, by which all that we believe will be judged? It's Holy Scripture and our Lutheran confessions, which are proper exposition of it. Okay? So Scripture is number one. So everything to settle every matter in the church, where is it that we're supposed to appeal to? Scripture. Okay? So just, just hang on to that. that. That's part of what our synod was founded on um, and probably something we need to get back to in some respects as well. But that's a whole other conversation I don't want to get into. By definition, however, historical criticism claims the role of judge for it insists on the scholar's right and duty to subject all historical claims and documents without exception to systematic doubt, 
cross-examination, and possible falsification. So only one conclusion is possible. Scripture alone and the subjection of Scripture to the historical critical method are mutually exclusive. Okay? So one must choose between them. And behind the Reformation, Scripture alone stands the majesty of God himself in his chosen messengers. And let's read 2 Corinthians 10.5 together. You ready? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. Okay? I like that last part there that the Holy Spirit through Pastor Paul writes. We take captive every thought and make it now what? Obedient, right? We analyze it, you know, we, 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 we mark, I mean, we avoid, uh, and so we learn to know what thoughts are good and what thoughts are bad to have, okay? How do you know that? Go through the Ten Commandments, right? Um, you start talking about, you know, God or deities, go through the Apostles' Creed. I mean, there's so much there. Uh, the, the small catechism, the older I get, the more I marvel at how much is packed into the six chief parts of the catechism, okay? Um, and not only just the catechism itself, which, which really didn't come from Luther per se, but then his, you know, explanation, okay, uh, the meanings of, of the catechism, okay? All right, any comments? Nothing? Okay, just text them in. Finally, having sketched the nature of historical criticism, it is only fair to point out its major results in theology. After all, and let's read Matthew 7, 16 together. By their fruit, you will recognize them, okay? Um, so these are the, you know, fruit is the, the works that follow then faith, if you will. And so if faith is faulty, the fruit or the works is going to be noticeably different uh, from everything else, okay? The fact is that the gradual acceptance of historical criticism by the churches in our time has radically altered the whole theological landscape. One newspaper religion writer put it like this in 1977. I was three years old, I'm just going to be honest, in 1977. True or false, Jesus did not regard himself as God made flesh and probably did not call himself the Messiah. True or false, you want to do this? You should be able to do this, right? But I mean, these are questions that people are, we're asking, and people still ask this. You know, if you, you get outside of like the Missouri Synod, you know, bubble, as we like to call it, to be honest with you, I'm glad we have a little bit of a bubble that protects, you know, the, the weak uh, or, or those that still have questions and, and challenges. As I told you before, it, not all of you should invite the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons into your house to engage in theological debate, okay? Uh, for some of you, that might not be a good thing, okay? Unless you want to call me and say, hey, they're over here. Can you come over? You know? <laughs> and if I'm not available, we'll call Pastor Grady or Pastor Allman. Uh, or anyway. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right there. We'd really jump at that phone call, wouldn't we? No, we wouldn't. <laughs> but we need to do that. Okay, Jesus did not rise bodily from the dead. You'd be surprised how much that is still around. Okay? Um, if you said false, you're in step with popular understanding of the New Testament but out of step with the prevailing views of most prominent biblical scholars. This conclusion comes from interviews with U.S. scholars who reflect, the teaching, who reflect the teaching at all but the more conservative universities and theological schools. The interviews also revealed the width of an enormous gap 
between contemporary New Testament studies and the assumptions of the general public, even most churchgoers. Maybe it's time we leveled with the public, one scholar said. You know, One area that, of course, has really taken a, a big hit, I would say, at least in terms of what Scripture teaches, um, you know, is just, you know, creation versus, and now it's not just evolution because there's so many different facets of, of evolution itself. Uh, and even in some sense, creation. Now you've got even those who claim they believe in creation, you know, uh, are, are divided between young earth, old earth, you know, uh, seven, you know, six 24-hour days or whatever. I mean, it's gotten really convoluted. But I would say at most of our main line, especially our, our public universities and colleges, there's just very few Christians teaching in some of those environments because they're just so hostile. They're so hostile to that. I mean, even when I started a pre-med degree at University of Kansas in 19, fall of 1992, um, our biology instructor, the very first thing before we even started going through the syllabus and going through, I remember it like it was yesterday, he said, there's probably some of you crazy Bible-believing Christians in this class. And if so, just know that you need to keep your mouth shut. We will be studying evolution. If you mention creation in any way, shape, or form, in any of your short answers, your essays, or whatever, you will fail this class. We will not debate creationism in this class. Evolution is what is most commonly accepted, and that was it. Well, guess who was young and naive and decided to do that? <laughs> yeah, and I found out I didn't want to become a doctor, but anyway, um, <laughs> not a doctor of medicine. So, yeah, I did, I did a work in that class, and I ended up getting, what did I get, a C or something? I mean, it was... You know, and I, I could have gone to the provost or somebody to do that, but I just, you just took, take the lumps. Some of you maybe have had that experience as well. Um, you know, so, you know, that, that's why it's important, especially with our youth, uh, that we train them, that we teach them, and, 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 and we understand what it really means that Scripture is God's Word. Comments? Anyone? Okay. An example from a textbook on form criticism leaves no doubt about what is at stake and why St. Peter's great confession in St. Mark 8.27 and following is turned by means of editorial surgery into this blasphemous account of what really happened. Peter confessed, let's read it together, you are the Messiah. And Jesus replied, let's read it, get thee behind me, Satan. For according to a prominent critic, Jesus rejects messiahship as a merely human and even diabolical temptation. So it's a complete twisting of this text. Um, you know, so Jesus is pointing out to Peter that Peter's lack of faith or his sin of doubt, first of all, comes from where? The devil, the world, and your sinful nature. Right? So you might say that's the unholy trinity. Okay? Now remember that, that we believe in the simul. Okay? This is a review for some of you. We believe that you and I are both what two things at the same time? Saint and sinner. Okay? Now that's commonly rejected by most mainline denominations, by the way. Both Reformed and Roman Catholic. Okay, so this is where you engage in discussion. You've got to make sure you understand where the playing field is when you start batting around terms and that sort of thing. Okay, you're both saint and sinner at the same time, which means that even though, are you saved? Are you saved? 
Are you saved? Will you go to heaven? I hope so. Oh. Oh, wait, oh, you're changing your answer. You will go to heaven. Why do you think you will go to heaven? Okay. Ooh, let me break that one down. So I will go to heaven, and the first thing you said is because I have faith. Okay? Do you want, do you want to rethink your answer before I start to pick it apart just a little bit? It's not totally incorrect. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Let's try it again. Are you saved? Yes. Will you go to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I oh, stop with the I words. Oh, you see where we're going with that? Because I will, okay. You, you guys picking up a little bit? Sorry, thanks for being a good sport, okay? <laughs> but but this, is, this is what we do. We talk, we, we go to the, 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 we make ourselves the object, okay, which really makes everything subjective. It's about my faith, what I have done, or what's been done to me. Where, where do we need to go first? Okay, let's try it again. You ready? You're going to go to heaven? Yes. Why? Oh, high five. <laughs> okay, it, it's a nuance. I get it. I get it. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying it's incorrect that you have faith and you've received the gifts and the waters of holy baptism. That's correct. But that's not the starting point. Do you get that? It's the same way with God's Word. So you start with God's Word. This is God's Word. Not because I believe it's God's Word. See, that's the same as the heresy, uh, false teaching of receptionism and communion. The Lord's body and blood are only there if What? if I really believe, you see? And, and, you know, people fall into that all the time. Therefore, it doesn't, we'll just give the Lord's, we'll just give communion out to whoever, and, and only the people that really believe it'll be good for. I mean, I, I've had Missouri Synod pastors look me in the eyes and tell me that, right? Which is not at all what we historically believe or practice, whatever. So we, so we have to be mindful of some of those nuances. The Bible is God's word because he says so. I am saved because of what God and Christ has done for me period, okay? And then comes, that's the horse, right? <laughs> right? So that's the horse that's trotting along, and then the cart that follows, you might say, is you, and this is scriptural as well. So Jesus, the Psalms talk about it, you know, uh, the Son of Man ascends into heaven, and he, he takes captive in his train, right? So he pulls along in his train, you know, it's the same thing we talked, I think, many weeks ago about why a bride might have a train on her dress. So Jesus now is literally dragging and pulling all of you in his train. He's made you all part of his family, the literal body of Christ. There's a lot of metaphor and imagery there, so it's okay if your head's a little, you know, swimmy. Um, but it, it all comes back to what he does, okay? Questions or comments on that? No? Anybody want to debate that? Okay. So you're all, you're all good with that. Good. Glad to hear that. Wherever such tenets are embraced, so where we, where we look away from what Scripture is actually dealing with, total devastation must follow. What this has meant for nominal world, quote, Lutheranism becomes terribly clear 
and the observation, here's going to be some people you may or may not know, Hans Asp, Asp, eh, thank you, former president of the Chancery of the Evangelical, that's Lutheran Reformed and United Church of Germany. Wow, it's amazing you could have all that in one church. Quote, this is in fact the picture of wide sectors of our Lutheran church today. Clergymen read aloud the Christmas story, which they consider a fairy tale. They read aloud the Easter story, to which they find access only after several reinterpretations. At the grave, they witness to the resurrection of the dead, which they consider a myth. Okay? Um, and that's actually from 1966. Okay? Um, but still, you know, most of that has just been widely assumed today. Historical criticism is, of course, no respecter of confessional boundaries. A leading U.S. Roman Catholic theologian has written of his own church. In Roman Catholic seminaries, it is now common teaching that Jesus of Nazareth did not assert any of the messianic claims that the Gospels attribute to him, and that he died without believing that he was Christ or the Son of God, not to mention the founder of a new religion. One would be hard-pressed to find a Roman Catholic biblical scholar who maintains that Jesus thought he was the divine Son of God who pre-existed from all eternity as the second person of the Trinity before he became a human being. And that's from 1984, so that's a little more recent, okay? What I can tell you is, you know, there are always with, within any denomination little pockets um, that you will have all sorts of crazy stuff that is espoused, okay? Um, you want to see some crazy stuff going on in the Missouri Synod, go to the Concordia University uh, Portland website, and, uh, and, and you, can, you, can, you can read all about uh, what is uh, proposed, and I'll let you make your own judgments on some of that. Uh, and, and that's Missouri Synod, you know, institution. Um, and so, you know, you're always going to have, uh, you know, these things. That doesn't mean we, we, we also want to be careful, as we might mark and avoid some of this, that we don't fall in the trap of stereotyping everyone, okay? Um, I have met other pastors and members of other denominations who are very Trinitarian um, and, 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 and really close to believing in, uh, you know, <laughs> objective justification, okay? Uh, might have some issues on some other things like infant baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, but, you know, you, 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 you still find there are pockets of that, and I, I, I still, I find myself in my prayers, you know, how do we pray for our fellow Christians who still either don't get certain things or reject certain things that are of great import. And I think the answer is you still pray for unity. And you, you keep them in your prayers, and you also, as much as you can, as a church, still attempt to have some sort of dialogue, even though you can't have unity. Okay? Um, and this, this is you know, the, the biggest challenge that I think sometimes we have, practically speaking, um, and, and I have this in my own family, uh, when you have, you know, where you belong as, a, as church membership means that you have now said, this is what I believe, okay? So when Paul talks about breaking bread together at the, at the Lord's rail, you know, he's talking about there being one loaf there at that rail, we believe things together, Okay? What happens if you have a difference then of opinion? That you believe um, homosexuality is not sinful, that that's just, that God actually made people that way, uh, and that that's okay. Um, I mean, you could get into creation evolution, okay? 
Um, you could get into the pastoral office. You could talk about, you know, should women be pastors or not? Um, and so Paul says, if you have divisions, and this is, this is all through his writings, leave your gift at the altar and, and you know, don't break bread together then, right? But, but of course, what do we want to do? What would I love to do with, with my family? Do you think all my family is still Missouri Synod Lutheran? No. All my siblings? All my wife's siblings? What did we grow up doing together? Me and my siblings, and even for the most part, at least one side of my grandparents. <laughs> we grew up taking communion together. We'd go to church together. We'd get together at Thanksgiving. We'd get together at Christmas. Do I have great memories of that? Yeah. Do I love that that was something that we did as a family? Yeah. What's changed? Huh? Oh, society. Society's changed, and, and what's that meant for some of our siblings, since you decided to speak up? Yeah, so some of our even siblings, love them to death, would do anything for them. I would. I'd, I'd lay down my heart. I'd, I'd lay down my life in a minute for any of my family. There's no question. It's not a matter of love and care. Um, but their beliefs and opinions have changed. Is that fair? Quite a bit. You know, and that's has that caused a little consternation in the family? Yeah. And so, you know, now there's just certain topics that we don't talk about when we go on family vacation together. I mean, we don't. We no longer talk about, I mean, you, you pick some of the big topics, homosexuality, abort. We just don't talk about them anymore. Even though we were all raised with the same beliefs, presuppositions, and that sort of thing, um, there have been some in the family that have changed their mind on that. Okay. Um, so what does that mean now? Can I commune with them? I, I can't in good conscience. Some people come to me and say, well, what should I do? I say, what does your conscience tell you to do? <laughs> you know, my job as your pastor isn't to say, you know, do this or don't do that. My job is to mark and avoid, is to help tell you what might be wrong with the house and you then armed with that knowledge because you can only believe for yourself, right? So if you're just following a set of rules, if, you're just gonna, if you just want law given to you all the time, do this and don't do that, you're kind of missing the point of faith. Because as a result of faith now comes wisdom and comes understanding, and then that being put into practice, and that's hard work, right? Um, so we got Confirmation Sunday coming up in a couple weeks. Who are we going to have there at Confirmation Sunday? Let me, let me put this here on our family. Who are we going to have here, you think? Are all of our family going to be Missouri Synod Lutheran? They're not. Do I want to commune with them? Do I want to commune with them? Well, no, I mean, I do, because I want to receive the Lord's gifts together, but what's the problem? There's some different beliefs. Okay? Do I want to give my yes to their false beliefs? Here's, a, here's another shocker for you. You ready? And, and I, this is kind of how I've handled it, because I've been a pastor now for a while. We've had family come visit us, Right? If you come to the altar and you want me to commune you, it means you're agreeing that I'm right. <laughs> I mean, I didn't quite say it that way, but that's kind of, I know that sounded kind of pompous, but you're saying you now agree with us if you're going to come and commune. Oh, no, right? They don't want to do that. And so for some of the family, thankfully, it's worked out well, you know, now that they understand, okay, this is, their church may not practice it that way, but that's part of what our beliefs so if they come up and they want to commune, and I commune, and I say, oh, wonderful, you've come back to the church. 
So glad. That, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh. So the church has always practiced this, by the way, but this, this gets to be a sticky wick. Anybody want to jump in here and save me before I... I mean, but it's, it's hard work, all right? And it's, it's not easy. Sometimes, yes, there are a few extraordinary circumstances. They don't happen very often. The, the extraordinary should never become the norm. Um, but th- that, that's all part of, of sharing that faith, okay? And that all gets back to really what he talks about here in the next section, with his, which is scripture and creeds. The last paragraph, Christ and his words stand and fall together. So there's part of that unity there. So the mystery of God made man is bound up indissolubly with the mystery of his own word about himself given through his chosen human vessels. Like the seamless robe of Christ, Holy Scripture will be treasured whole or gambled away whole. More than two millennia of clever and not so clever attempts to dissect and profane the sacred text serve only to highlight its sacramental integrity and grandeur. Comments before we move on? We've got about seven minutes, I think. I'm going to get into the next section here so we can feel like we made some progress. You good, good? Everybody awake? Okay. Scripture and creeds. Non-committal religious chatter is one thing. Confession is quite another. And you can read about that from Matthew 10, 32. It was not enough for the 12 simply to report what various people were saying about Jesus. They themselves had to take a stand. Jesus asked them point blank, and let's read it together, Who do you say I am? Then Peter confessed in the name of all. Let's read it together. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So all of our great creeds and confessions have as their embryo, as it were, I love that concept, the New Testament's Jesus is Lord. At first sight, it may seem far-fetched to trace the Nicene Creed, let alone the formula of Concord. So you're going, you know, roughly 325 to 1580 to that simple New Testament slogan. Yet even though an oak tree also does not look much like an acorn, it is the acorn at a later stage of development. Similarly, compressed beneath the surface simplicity of Jesus as Lord lies the full Trinitarian dynamic of God's saving revelation. Christian truth is both simple and complex. Three words confess it all, yet not all the books in the world can exhaust it. Someone has said that Holy Scripture is like a river in which lambs may safely wade and elephants swim. Okay? So if you ever hear the argument, hey, we're all Christians, we all believe Jesus is Lord, but let's just stop there. What's the problem? Should we just stop there? Why? Does Scripture stop there? No, it doesn't, right? So, I mean, you know, you go back to the whole ecumenical movement, um, and I don't want to get into too much of the history now, but, but that, that's still certainly part of it. I mean, even like the ELCA, so they were formed in, in 1988. So all my mom's ALC relatives from up in Minnesota uh, combined with some of her other cousins from the LCA. So it was ALC, LCA, and what was the other one? That's right, AELC, thank you. So those three formed the ELCA in 1988, okay? Then you're ready for this. Within the space of 10 years, within the space of 10 years, that new denomination had now declared full altar and pulpit fellowship. You ready for this? With the Church of Christ, Presbyterians, 
and Methodist. Okay? Um, so, very interesting. Space it to, wow, I didn't know God's word changed so quickly. I mean, but I guess it did. So, um, and that, you know, that was a real issue. I mean, still is today for, for a lot. I've known a lot of good people still, you know, fellow Lutherans of other little different background uh, that come from that. Still Christians? Eh, most of them still are. Okay. Although, you know, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when you're rejecting one part of truth of Scripture, who ultimately are you always rejecting? Christ, because he is the word, right? And so our concern and care for people then would prompt that we would, you know, Matthew 18, you know, address that and deal with that. But so often it's just so much easier, right, Gina, just to not deal with it. So, oh my goodness, you get it figured out, come tell me, please. Okay, what do I got? Three minutes. Any questions or comments? You guys are really quiet today. Are you thinking or are you just bored? Oh, a little bit of both? Okay. Um, today, many deplore what seems... Oh, wait, I didn't finish that one, did I? So, similarly, compressed between the surface simplicity of Jesus' Lord lies the full Trinitarian dynamic of God's saving self-revelation. Christian truth is both simple and complex. Three words confess it. Yet not all the books in the world can exhaust it. Someone has said the Holy Scripture is like a river in which lambs may safely wade and elephants swim. So today many deplore what seems then seems to them a tendency to needlessly to needless elaboration and complication. They grow impatient with theological hair splitting and would have us abandon all this scholasticism in favor of return to the simple Bible. This impulse amounts to simplistic nostalgia, though. It is true, of course, that not all theological development has been healthy. A great deal of it has, in fact, been mistaken and even perverse. Just as an embryo can suffer genetic damage and grow hideously misshapen, so also theology when its internal controls are disturbed. Yet this is just why creeds and confessions are necessary. There, they, there must be readily applicable clinical tests to tell the healthy from the pathological, right? So that gets back to the mark in the void or the home inspector doing what? <laughs> Checking things out, right? It's tedious, it's hard work. Does anybody really enjoy going through that? Raise your hand if you're really dying to move from one house to another right now. You want to go through that process, okay? I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, okay? It doesn't count people that make their living from that, so put your hand down, Mark. So, the ever-churning tides of cultures and language require that the message of Holy Scripture be constantly interpreted and applied anew. And, and that's why, and this is, it's a little bit, it's, it's laborious. <laughs> and I've gone back and forth, you know, as a pastor. So there's times where, you know, I will for maybe six months, we'll deal with some heady doctrinal stuff. And then I'll get people that I won't see at Bible study anymore, and I'll say, okay, we're going to go back and we're just, we're going we're to get back to the simple Bible right? We're going we're to study a little bit of scripture for a while. But you have, to have, you have to have both at the same time. So you need to be armed. You need to wrestle with some of that. You need to be challenged, you know, and you need to be fed. And we as pastors also need to realize that not everybody's on the same page. So some of the stuff that comes really simple for Professor Marquardt or for us as pastors or other academics may not come as easy for you. And we've got to try and break that down. Sometimes maybe take a little spring break from some of that as well. 
okay? So just promise me as we continue to grow in our relationship together that you will communicate with me of either things you're struggling with or things you feel that we need to spend more time on or maybe we just need to finish the chapter and get to chapter two, okay? <laughs> Fair enough? Okay. So as this happens, uh, counterfeit interpretations arise as well as genuine ones. In economics, it is said that bad money drives out the good. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Bad money drives out the good. In theology, too, care must be taken to screen out attractive falsehood, lest they swamp the unflattering truth. Then would arise a sludge of fickle opinions, presenting the unwary with the illusion of, quote, freedom of choice among equally good options. I'm going to finish up here with this paragraph. The moment one takes a particular stand, one has a creed, okay? Credo is Latin for, I believe, in the name of a pretty decent band, too, by the way. Orthodox, that's for younger folks, right teaching, orthodox means right teaching, orthodox creeds and confessions safeguard the genuine sense of scripture against distortions. When conflicting teachings compete for the loyalty of Christians in the name of scripture, one cannot simply stick with the Bible itself and ignore all those pesky interpretations. The whole point is to recognize what is the correct understanding of the Bible and to assert it against counterclaims. Failure to do so gives equal rights to all views and effectively robs Scripture of any and all sense and meaning. Now I'm going to go one more paragraph. Decisions about the correct understanding of Scripture are embodied in creeds and confessions and thus have been preserved through centuries. Creedal hymns, like from Philippians 2 and 1 Timothy 3, document the practice of framing short summaries of the faith already in New Testament times. Without such creedal decisions, nothing is ever settled. One would have to reinvent the wheel every time a difference arises. No creed but Christ is itself a creed and a self-contradictory one. Okay? And if you want to do a little bit more on creeds or you want to have fun with it, uh, go to Son of the Congregation Hans Feeney, uh, Lutheran satire. He talks about creeds. And, uh, and uh, St. Patrick's Day, I know, was here. Donald, and well, you guys know some of that already. Maybe you don't. Yeah, we should throw some up on the screen sometime. So. Okay, questions or comments, that's enough for today. So what you believe is important, um, and you always need to know what you believe. And you need to decide, you know, here I stand, this is where my conscience is at, um, and, and, and you should naturally, you know, be concerned, not in a holier-than-thou sort of way, but you should be concerned for your, your neighbor and your family. And you, you should want to give, you know, joyful testimony to the hope that lives within you, okay? So be bold, be courageous, recognize that that might set you apart, right? Um, I mean, just as, you know, watching my kids go through, you know, puberty and schools and cliques and, and all of that stuff, you know, sometimes it's easy to run with the wrong crowd because you want to be with the popular people or you want to be with, with that and whatever. But ultimately, you have to make the decision, you know, who am I, what do I believe, you know, and, and who am I going to stand with, <laughs> You know, and so that, that comes at some point. And you will make mistakes. Just as I made mistakes when I'm a kid, my kids are going to make mistakes. Hopefully not as many as I did, but you get where you're going with this. And so you work through that. And that's the struggling. That's the tentatio. You also struggle with whatever else comes your way in life. Okay? Uh, the stuff that happens that you just you can't always quite process, but you come back to what God's promises are. Okay? And for you, the Lord is, is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen?
Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.